1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Let's say our scripture together this morning uh, that we normally affirm. Most Sundays, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the truth that God, man, God desires every man to know and respond to in repentant faith. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter, had written a letter to young Timothy. This was Paul after he had been released from his first imprisonment in Rome. And he revisited Ephesus where there was already an established church there that he established. And he and Timothy were there. And he went on to Macedonia, Paul did, after revisiting Ephesus. And he wrote back to Timothy, leaving Timothy behind. And this is the letter he wrote back to him. And he wrote this letter to, for him to deal with false doctrine and some other problems that emerged uh, in the church. So this was a letter to Timothy from Macedonia, from Paul, about the order and the practice of the church of the living God. I've said before, Dave, Pastor Dave and I were talking about it this week, I, I suppose that every pastor should know First and Second Timothy and Titus like the back of their hand because those are called the pastoral epistles. They're the three epistles in the Word of God that directly deal with the life, witness, activity, structure, and order of the church. If we, uh, if we want to see how the church is supposed to work and how she's supposed to be ordered according to the Word of God, then we can take all the church growth manuals that come out, and they usually come out daily, multiple ones, and throw them away, and we need only to go to First and Second Timothy and Titus to get it directly from there. And so the Apostle Paul is writing back to Timothy, and you'll notice where this verse appears. These verses we just read, they're in the second chapter, the first verses of the second chapter. And you know when the Bible was originally written, it didn't have chapter divisions, it didn't have uh, verses in it. Those were added later, years later. So the case that we can make is, is this is high on God's priority list, this list of instruction, because it appears after the introduction and after a couple of verses about prayer in the church and the order of church and the relationship between the men and the women in the church and his charge to make sure to keep his doctrine pure and maintain pure doctrine within the church and coming right out of the gate, this is the first thing he says. He says, therefore, in light of everything I just said, I exhort, I encourage that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men and for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 
For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he moves on in verse 5 and says, This is the truth that I want men all to come to the knowledge of. And here it is. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. So the, the truth that transforms and the truth that saves, that repentant faith opens us up to, is found in verse 5. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and here's what he did to mediate. He came and died in our place as a ransom for all and was testified at the right time according to the truth of the living God prophesied all the way back in Genesis when God said, I will crush Satan's head. Now, the, the, we talked about last week and we shared at length last week that the, the, the one who turns away from the hearing of the law, even his prayer, is an abomination. And one of the things that we develop from that text, from that verse, is this. The reason that a prayer is abominable to God when we turn away from the Word of God is that we're no longer praying God's will back to Him. We're just praying what we think to be best. And we've made the case that how would you, what would you rather do? Would you rather God listen to what you think is best or what I think is best and respond to prayers on that basis? Or would you rather pray according to His will after, heard, after hearing from Him in the Word, praying promises that were given to you back from Him back to Him and commit the answers and commit your prayer life and commit the direction of your prayer life according to the one who knows the beginning from the end. See, if I pray according to what I think is best, I know about that much, a little speck of time. I think that I know what's best for my circumstances. And you often, and I often fall into the lie of thinking that we know what's best. God here surely must be the best thing that could be ordered right here. It could have been, just in the case of Tammy's sister-in-law, God it would be best if she were healed immediately. Well, that didn't work out to be the best plan. The best plan was to go on a journey that she's still on right now. And while God did that, He's repairing relationships. He's restoring people to themselves. Had, had, had He done it the way we would have done, none of that would have been done. See, we commit it to the one who knows the beginning from the end. And our intercession has to be guided by the Word of God. And we've talked about it at length and we've said many times before that the prayers that get answered in heaven are the ones that originate from there. That's why it's so important to turn back our ears to listening to Him. He speaks to us. He guides our intercession. And then when we know we've heard from Him and we intercede on that basis, we know that we have confidence from 1 John 5. We read that that we are heard and that what we've heard is going to be done because we're praying according to His will and not our own. And so this is clear instruction from the church of, to the church of the living God to Household of Faith Bible Church this morning. And this is what the Lord says. I want you to do this, Household of Faith. I want you to offer up supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men 
for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What's His purpose? The God our Savior who ordered this intercession desires this, that all the men that we're praying for would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, let's look at these words here for a moment just to guide our intercession. It first says suffocations. Supplications. The word supplication means to be without. Therefore, it is a prayer arising from a need. What it means is, is there is a legitimate need in this life. In a few minutes, we're going to pray for someone who's lost their job. That God will provide a job for a man who has a wife and children. That is not a want. That is a need. That we're going to pray that somehow or another that God would so orchestrate the circumstances in His timing, in His way, to let His need and God's opportunity converge. Let me say this to you. In the context of the Scripture, what this is saying is this. I want there to be supplications made for everybody for them to come to the realization and the fulfillment of their greatest need. And their greatest need is to repent toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ. The supplication is based on that. What it's saying is, is the most important thing that you could pray for anyone and the most important need that anybody has is to be saved. We come into the world that way. The Bible says, David put it this way, in my mother's womb I was conceived in iniquity. I sin because I was born into sin. I sin because it's my nature to sin. And I'm helpless to do anything about it. And yet God did something about it. And men need to know that there is a liberator, a mediator, Jesus Christ, the one man that stood between God's sure judgment and wrath upon my sin, and yet offered up in tender mercy His Son in my place and in their place so that they can have life forevermore. That is the greatest need of any man, woman, boy, or girl. As a matter of fact, there's not even a close second. It is the need of salvation. That's the context in which he's speaking. It is the prayer arising from the need. And what is the need of all mankind, Ashley? From one end of it to the other. And Ashley knows this because she's got a pure heart. It's to be saved. It is to be saved. Then he says, okay, I want you to offer up prayers or supplications. Prayers, self-explanatory. We talked about the fact that the prayer is a relationship. And we talked about how that you can run into people sometimes. And I'm not going to get into the last message, but this is dipping over into it a little bit. But you'll hear people say things like this. Well, you know what? I don't read the Bible. I don't go to church. I don't fellowship with other believers. But I pray. I've heard people say that. But I pray. What they're saying is, is I have no interest and what God has to say to me. But surely God must be sitting on the edge of heaven to hear what I've got to say to Him. That's exactly what they're saying. It's a relationship. My prayer relationship and my prayer life and your prayer life includes petitions, supplications, prayers, thanksgiving. But I tell you what also it includes. First and foremost, it includes this. It includes this. It includes this. This is God speaking back to me. Who do you know that you have a meaningful relationship with? Jeff and I were joking about this the other night. Who do you know that you have a meaningful relationship with in which it's always one-way communication? I mean, do you want to habitually hang around with somebody in a relationship and all they do is they do all the talking and, and they never listen to what you've got to say? And yeah, we do that to God all the time. The prayer is a two-way communication. It's a relationship. So offer up the supplication based on need. Offer up the prayers and watch this. 
Then it says intercessions. That's the third word, intercessions. That word means this. It means to fall in with somebody. It means to draw near so as to speak intimately. It means to get in somebody's Gethsemane. It means that through compassion toward their position and their plight or their need, you so associate with that need, it's almost as if it becomes yours. It's like that Christ is the bearer. It's like this, and we've talked about it at length. The Bible says in Psalm 55, verse 22, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. The Bible says to cast your cares upon the Lord, because He what? Cares for you. It's the kind of intercession that almost takes ownership of the need. It is to so pray and so... Ask God for something. It's to so petition Him for something. It's as if you're the one who stands in need. That's the kind of intercession the Savior offers up for you and I. Aren't you grateful for that? Listen, let me tell you this. It's been said before, and I've heard this said before. And it's accurate. It's okay to say it. It's not heretical to say it. But we can say, you know what? We're never more like Jesus than when we're giving. That's true. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. We could say you're never more like Jesus than when you're forgiving. Amen. You know, because you know what? It's, it's supernatural to forgive the way God forgives. It's supernatural. And when we forgive and we really carry it and put it under the blood and we release others from being indebted to us because of some kind of offense and we do it because we've been forgiven by the greatest forgiver of them all. The one forgiveness originates from is the one who spilled his blood on Calvary's hill. We're never more like Jesus and we're forgiving. But let me tell you this. As far as eternity is concerned, as far as longevity is concerned, as far as a timeline is concerned, you're never more like Jesus than when you're interceding. Let me prove it to you. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Turn it there with me if you will. Don't let me just quote it to you. If you have a Bible with you, will you turn it with me please? Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to look at verse 25. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Hebrews 7.25. Let's look at it. Have you ever heard the expression that God is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost? Have you ever heard that before? You know what? Salvation is everyone's need. And salvation is offered to everyone regardless of status. Did you know that we know that one of the reasons why the gospel is of God is because it's impartial? Did you know that if a man had anything to do with it, just the least little bit to do with it, it would be partial? That's how we are. We're wicked. We're as wicked as we can be, rotten to the core. And somehow or another, people will be excluded or edged out. Or somehow or another, there will be a bent to it. It'd be geographical. It'd be skin color. It'd be name. It'd be something. But we we slap some condition on it and make it partial. But we know it's of God because it's completely impartial. And it meets every man's need. He's able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Hallelujah to His name. And look what He says right here. Therefore, He, speaking of Jesus, is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. The ministry of Jesus Christ throughout all eternity is to intercede for you and I. We'll be in heaven and we will be there 
predicated upon, based upon, depending upon, drawing upon, anchored upon His intercession that He occupies between us and the Father that purchased our right to be there for eternity. It's an intercessory relationship that will last forever. If it ever gave up, we'd be kicked out of heaven. Hallelujah to His name. And when we intercede on behalf of others, when we intercede, His life is an ongoing, eternal intercession for men and women. He's, there's one mediator between God and man, and He's the man Christ Jesus, mediating a covenant between a God who's righteous and just, who's also compassionate and holy and full of grace and mercy, that moved and compelled Him to offer up His Son in, in our place to satisfy the righteous judgment of God and at the same time forgive the unrighteous and not only forgive them, but make them righteous. Hallelujah. We're never more like Jesus than when we're interceding. That's what He's doing throughout eternity and praise His holy name for that. Listen to me. There's some of you in here right now who are believing God for the salvation of people that you've been petitioning and calling out to God for over and time and again. Did you know that you have the backup of heaven to do that? And that you, when you begin to intercede, don't you quit. Don't you give up. Spencer and I were at Chick-fil-A this past week. And we were walking out. And as we were walking out, I heard a familiar voice. I said, Brother Lindsay. And I looked over. And it was a member of our previous church, standing at the counter. And I knew she'd worked there because I'd seen her there on different shifts and what have you. And she was just blowing. And we stood there in that line at Chick-fil-A, and uh, she couldn't care less about anybody being around, and neither could I or Spencer. And she began to tell. She said, Brother Lindsay, and I knew this would happen in her life. My husband is involved in church now and just got back from a mission trip to Haiti. She went from coming to church by herself with her son, her two sons, who are close to being grown up now, and came and she said, Brother Lindsay, 12 years. I prayed for that for 12 years. Tears running down her cheek. I said, can I tell other people about that? She said, you believe it. Matter of fact, she said it before I said that. She said, you tell other people that. I said, I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to, because there are other people that need to hear and be encouraged. Don't you give up. You keep interceding. Nobody, nobody has more tenacity and personal resolve. No athlete, no Olympian, nobody has more determination than an intercessor. I can tell you that right now. It takes more to intercede and stand in the gap and keep on interceding. It'll spin you. It'll wear you out. It takes more of that than it does to run the marathon in the Olympics. I'm telling you the truth. At 211 degrees, water just gets hot. But at 212, it'll run a locomotive up a mountain pass. One degree of, di one degree of difference. It's just one degree of difference. The most, hard, the most difficult thing you'll ever be called to do, and the most, the most arduous and the most burdensome thing you'll ever be called to do is intercede at the level we're talking about right now. Because I don't know if I want to be in buying to that. Hey, you buy into that when you stand there behind the counter of Chick-fil-A and your, your tears are rolling down your cheek and you know that there's only one reason that her husband's going to church now. There's only one reason that he's been made right with God. And that is that the God of glory prompted her to pray and she prayed back promises she'd received from God and God responded to him, Bless His holy name. Amen. Golly, I'm telling you right now, isn't it wonderful to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, when you pray like this, and you and I pray like this, we are praying according to God's will.
Isn't that wonderful? So we're all for supplications, prayers, and intercessions. And watch this now. Watch this. Watch this. And we're fixing to go into prayer. That's South Georgia for a meeting. We're about to. First Timothy chapter 2. Let's go back there. It says, first of all, the supplications. It's a petition arising out of a need. Prayers, two-way. Lord, I'm listening to you and I'm praying back to you things you're telling me. And he's speaking to us right now. Intercessions, it means to get in their space, to get in their shoes. And by the way, at the end of Job, after all he went through, do you know what Job says? Let's go over there. Let's go over there. I don't, I, I, you know what? Let's bet, I, I, can you turn to Job? Will you turn to Job? In the Old Testament, turn to the book of Job. You know, the, all the things that Job went to and you recall and you know the story and how that he, was, he lost everything. And was tested by God. And God finally restored him and then some. I want you to, I want you to see uh, what happened uh, to Job and his restoration. In Job chapter 42. It's the last chapter of Job. Job chapter 42. And we're looking at verse 10. Job chapter 42. And we're looking at verse 10. Job is a type of Jesus Christ. Job is a picture of Christ. And this is where Christ most appears in Job's life. And it's right here. He said, I knew about you, but now I have seen you. And he was changed immediately. And look at verse 10. It says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he what? Interceded for his friends. He prayed. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He stood in the gap. This is the kind of prayer that gets into the somebody else's space and almost imposes the burden on itself. Self-imposed. It's spirit-led prayer. It's Jesus' prayer. It's anointed. And friends, it is powerful. It is powerful. Bless His holy name. So, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I know we're going all over the place. In the scriptures. It says this. He said, I want you to pray for everyone. Why? Because everyone has a need. What is the need? Salvation. Okay? So we know that everybody needs to be saved. You ready with that? We established that. Then it says, okay, here's how you do it. I want you to pray. I want you to give thanks for everyone. Because God made everybody. And rather than seeing people who are lost who are around you at school or in the office as being a, a, just a complete aggravation, if you begin to pray for them and give thanks, you will begin to transform your heart. God will begin to transform your heart toward them. And who you used to hate to see coming walking down the hallway, you begin to gladly see walking down the hallway because you're expressing gratitude for God, for them being in your life, and for the privilege of interceding, and your heart will begin to transform and be compassionate toward people that you used to would rather not see probably ever again. And that's what happens. It begins as a transforming process. He said, okay, give thanks and prayers for all men. And look what it says. For kings and all who are in authority. Now look at this. Let, let's take this, let's tease this out for a minute and see what the context was here. This is the Ephesian church and the emperor of Rome at that time was Nero. Wicked. 
This is a group of Christians being asked to pray for an emperor who would light his garden parties with human torches. Christians. He'd have them burned at the stake and killed in the most unimaginable way possible. And he said, I want you to pray for him. You imagine what kind of response that must have evoked? You imagine Timothy preaching that sermon and reading this before? Because he was going to read this audibly before the church. He said, here's what the Apostle Paul said. I imagine there's a contingent of people in the audience that probably said, and the Apostle Paul, good thing he's in Macedonia. Because if he were here right now, I would slap his face. He's lost his mind. He's been in prison too long. No, pray for Nero. I want you to know something. President Barack Obama is the President of the United States, not by the will of the voters, but by the will of God. Mm. As evangelical Christians, that might be hard for us to swallow. But let me prove it to you scripturally. And we've got to go there, but we'll have to look at it. And we need to do it. And once we do it, then we'll, we'll move on. But let's prove it scripturally so we can get beyond all of those objections. And you can... Quit thinking bad of me, because that wasn't my thought. Turn to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 21. There are other parallel passages we're going to look at too. Proverbs 21, and we're going to look at verse 1. When you understand the context, and we begin to understand the context of this narrative, and we begin to understand the context of the truth that's being taught here, we will understand why God put the current president, in office in the United States at this time. We'll have a better understanding. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Jeff, when you're flying up above as a pilot, and you look down and you see those streams meandering around, all over the place. You see a couple of them where they cut through and leave the horseshoe lake, you know, and you watch. I love to watch that when I'm flying an airplane and you see see all of that ordered like that. And you look at it. Every time I look at that now, after that scripture, I think about that. That's the God turns, orders circumstances. God is sovereign. And he orders circumstances just as if he were taking his hand, his big finger, and just taking those streams. So I'm going to put it over here. I'm going to put it over here. It's better over here. Let's go over here. And he's orchestrating everything according to the counsel of his will. Christian, we need not fear. If you fear God, it will remove all other fears. Now look at this one. Let's look at Daniel chapter 4. We've looked at this one before, but you might want to mark it in your Bible. It might be good when you want some news to kind of have it handy so you can read it again and encourage it. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, he showed Nebuchadnezzar who he was. Nebuchadnezzar was arrogant and prideful, and God downsized him, just like we all need to be downsized, so he can deal with our pride. And he said this in verse 17 of chapter 4. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the God, the Most High, rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. God is in charge. The Bible says it's God's prerogative to give wealth and authority 
and power to anybody he wants to give it to. It's God's prerogative. And he works it out according to the perfect counsel of his will. Praise his name. So we're to pray for those who are in authority. Did you know that I can certainly be brought into a loop and have been, and had to ask God to forgive me, of griping and fussing and complaining about the government and, and seeing the offenses that are going on right now and at the same time neglecting to pray for our president. Nancy reminds us almost every week in the prayer requests, and that's where I get my reminder. I say, all right, come on now. Reorient and retool. We need to pray for those who are in authority. We need to pray for the President of the United States. We need to pray for the elected officials from local all the way up to the top. Now let me tell you why we should pray for them. Now here's, here's the kicker. This is the kicker. And this is what we need to understand. And this is what needs to anchor our intercession. Is this. This is what we need to remember. And I wrote down this statement because I didn't want to forget it. And I forget most things anyhow nowadays anyway. But if you, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications arising from need, prayer, two-way conversation, predicated upon God's Word, intercession, getting in somebody's Gethsemane, carrying their burden, giving it to the Lord in prayer, and the giving of thanks which tenderize our hearts toward men that we would not otherwise probably tenderize toward or appreciate. And then listen, do it for kings, whether it's a good, benevolent king who's doing what you think he ought to do, or he's the polar opposite. Like what's happening in this time as Nero was using Christians who were burned at the stake to light up his garden parties. He was no friend to Christians, yet they're instructed to pray for him. And all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men. What's the purpose? It desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's the truth? There is one God and one mediator between God and man. Christ Jesus, what did He do? Gave Himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth of Christ. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. It want them to repent. When it come to the knowledge of the truth, what's the truth? And this guides your intercession. Here's the statement. Listen to this. It is to say in general terms, God, would you so order the affairs of government so that men who might not otherwise respond for, to their need to repent toward you and believe in your Son would do so. If that means our democracy is taken away from us, let me just say this. I don't want our democracy taken away from us. But if God's judging hand is on us, and I believe it is, he is ordering the circumstances and so ordering the circumstances according to His redemptive activity. Because the United States is not going to last forever anyway. And God knows that maybe there are people out there who will not repent unless things get to the point where they realize how desperately they need to. And it could mean a change in government is necessary for that to happen. God would rather us repent toward Him and put our faith in His Son and be saved forever than to live in a free America, be lost, and die and go to hell forever. That's not a downsizing or an unappreciation from freedom. I'm telling you right now, we are to stand up for it tooth and nail. I'm not saying we retreat or we give up our convictions. Not at all. That's not what the Word's saying. But the Word is saying, if things don't change and they continue to go the way they're going, continue to pray along these lines. 
Still pray for those who are in authority and pray that I will so order the affairs of government in the United States and elsewhere to waken up people who are sleeping to their eternal peril. And that if they'll wake up and they'll see their need for salvation, the need that we're praying for, the supplication, and we'll pray according to God's promises, and we will uh, identify with them because we, we remember what it was like to be lost without Christ. We remember what it was like to be undone. We remember what it's like to be guilty and to be under the weight of our sin. We remember all of that. And we have compassion for those who are still in that case and still in that state. And the thing that drives us and the thing that motivates us and the thing that stirs us up is because we still remember it and we know because of the blood of Christ and the empty tomb, it need not be. It need not be. Because God has done it all. Amen? You see it? God establishes government and God establishes rule and authority and He makes it go according to His perfect plan because He's got an eternal plan. And God is always working redemptively. Don't you forget that. In any circumstances you're in, look for how He's working redemptively. Lord, how can somebody get saved out of this? How can somebody get saved out of this? Yesterday at our house... We just got a new roof put on our house. And uh, they got out there and did it all Friday and then Saturday they come to get the trailer. And I said, all right, Lord, you know, just show yourself whatever, whatever doors you might want to open up or whatever you want to do through this to display your son. I don't, I don't, we're trying to be so nice to all of them just like you do when people do work on your house and, and, and you're just trying to tend to them and pray in for them. I woke up that morning and said, God, help them all to be safe, help them to fall off the roof and get hurt. Not because I was worried about getting sued, because I just don't want anybody to get hurt. Just do, just please protect these workers and all this stuff and so on and so on. And nothing kind of happened. You know, there was no really moments there. And so we get up Saturday morning. They're coming to get the trailer. All the debris has been thrown down. You know, and it's all piled up. And the guy driving the trailer pulls up. And he gets out. Twenty twenty-eight year old guy. And uh, we go to talk, and he finds out he's got four children. We got four children. He's twenty-eight. I'm eighty-eight. And we uh, and we go back and forth, and our children are almost the same age. And he mentioned church, and I said, "What about church? Where do you go to church?" And I'm just curious. And he said, "Why well, not go to church?" He's saying that we can't do ball on Saturday as much as our Sunday as much as we want to because church gets in the way, and we don't go to church, but other people do. And that and that and that went on and all that, and that wound up in a beautiful discussion over the gospel. He stood there in my driveway and we went from pillar to post, from Adam and Eve to Revelation, covered it from one end of the map to the other, and it resulted in God convicted him and we bowed down beside our freezer and he gave his heart to Christ in my garage. God's working redemptively in every situation. You see what I'm saying? Now here's the thing. What I'm saying is this. God just took the moment and had a gooberhead like me put there at the same time. But what I'm saying is, God's always working redemptively in every situation. Because here's the deal. That guy got hired by that roofing company to fulfill his need. But God in my driveway met his greatest need yesterday. And it had nothing to do with picking up that trailer. But it had everything to do with meeting his son. God is working redemptively. That's the context of the text. What he's saying is, is I'm working redemptively. Pray that my redemptive work would go, if it means a change in regime, if it means a change in administration, if it means a change in policy, if it means desecrating the Constitution, if it means all of those things, if it means that people who would not normally come to my son will pray along those lines because that is their greatest need. There's not a government in the world that can conform and transform and redeem and liberate forever the human heart, but the Gospel can. Amen?